right, guys, we're here. Opening day 2023, Thursday afternoon at Wrigley Field. It is Cubs Brewers at the Friendly Confines. So lots to get to here. Our final show pre-opening day. We've got Jeremy here. We've got Randall here. This is Behind the Yellow Line. Lots to talk about. The Cubs have a roster here as we get to opening day. A young player gets a contract extension. We're going to make some Cubs predictions. And then something I'm very much looking forward to, our first official at Cubs weather forecast for this weekend's homestand between, again, the Chicago Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers. But guys, it's what we've been waiting for. Tomorrow is Thursday. It is opening day. It's been an awful offseason, all this time between baseball last summer and here opening day, but we finally made it. And now for the next six or seven months, we get Cubs baseball basically every day. Well, two things. You said it was an awful offseason. It sure beat last offseason. So uh, that's an improvement. And you mentioned the Cubs have a roster on opening day. Uh, I would be very worried if they didn't have a roster. I'm glad they got that sorted out. I'm glad there is a roster. These are the the little things you have to get ironed out for opening day. Well, last time when we talked, we were saying, hey, who's going to make the roster? Now we got some clarity on that. So that'll be certainly the focal point of the show here tonight. Uh, Jeremy, you are the ticketed member of the podcast. You're going to be out at Wrigley Field tomorrow. You got the goosebumps tonight going, hey, this time tomorrow, hopefully you'll be celebrating a W. Definitely. I'm very excited. As, as you said, Ronan, I, I'm ready for this offseason to be over. Like, I'm ready for, unfortunately, Randall, I mean, I'm counting on you later in this broadcast to make it a, a, a good one with the weather, you know, to bring me some sunshine. But unfortunately, it's probably not going to be until we get to the summer months, really get it rolling. But still, anytime there's Cubs baseball on the field at Wrigley Field, I'm excited. I'm stoked. I know we had the World Baseball Classic. It was amazing. We all loved it. But from now on, from today until October, excuse me, yeah, when this broadcast, when this broadcast, oh, it will be today. From today until October, there's going to be meaningful professional baseball every single day, and that is going to be awesome. I love it. Baseball is the best. That's why we do this podcast. And I'm excited. I'm excited for Cubs season. You know, I love every Cubs season. They're all different. Yes, some of them have not been as good as previous ones uh, more recently, but uh, I'm still excited for it. And I'm still excited to go to Wrigley. There's no better place, in my opinion, to be than Wrigley Field, and no better time to be there than opening day, in my opinion. Jeremy, I think you had a little preview. I think you will find the forecast for uh, Thursday. I think you will find it passable. I think we'll find it tolerable. I'll give that little hint. But yeah, opening, you know, we say opening day should be a holiday. Uh, I don't know if that legislation will ever get passed as much as it should, but it, it's a thing that only happens once a year. It's a thing to celebrate. It is in every sense of the word, a holiday. If only we could actually get it made uh, a federal holiday and, uh, you know, uh, get time off uh, put into the script here. But it's something to celebrate every year. Like Jeremy said, you never know how each season is going to go. Every season is different. Every season is new. And it's something to look forward to each year. Well, 26 men break camp from Mesa to Wrigley Field for the games this weekend. 13 pitchers, 13 position players comprise the opening day roster for the Cubs here in 2023. Um, I want to start with this. Probably the most surprised that I am when it comes to the roster is three catchers. The Cubs are breaking camp with three catchers. I didn't see this coming. So that's interesting. So there, there may be some rhyme to this. And that is the Cubs had two veteran major league catchers in camp this winter, that being Dom Nunez and that being uh, Luis Torrens. Dom Nunez apparently hurt himself in one of the minor league spring training games 
just this week, a very recent development. And uh, Luis Torrens, as a veteran, probably had an opt-out clause. So I'm wondering if it was a case where they either needed to roster him or lose him, and then you don't have that depth third catcher, that veteran guy at Iowa. So I'm wondering if that is potentially the case, and that is why they are rostering him. But he's not a total black hole offensively. He's shown a little bit of power in his career. He can play a little bit of corner infield in the, the pinchiest of pinches. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what his role is. I suspect it's going to be a lot of uh, pinch hitting for uh, Tucker Barnhart in big spots where you want uh, something of a bat in there instead of whatever it is that Tucker Barnhart holds because it's not really a bat all that often. Well, I, I think this is kind of, and Randall did mention it, uh, and it's been reported that he did have, he does have an opt-out. So if he, if he didn't want, you know, if they didn't roster him, he could leave. And he did have a, a pretty big spring training. Like he, he played pretty well. So you could possibly see him, him opting out and somebody else trying to pick him up and giving him a roster spot. But, uh, I, I will say that now with the, not only the 26 men, men on the roster, but also the DH, I do think you have kind of more roster flexibility to do things like this. Uh, you know, you, you can you could fit different. If you want to keep somebody who's more of a bad or something on the roster, get him in as a DH. I I I think that's like we remember back in you know in 2015, the Cubs started the year with three catchers as well. They had Wellington Castillo, Miguel Montero, and David Ross. And they eventually traded Wellington Castillo earlier that year, but they did start with three catchers. And it's something I could kind of see them doing for a good period uh, of to start this season because. I do think it gives you a little bit more flexibility and it gives you some options there. Randall mentioned, you know, maybe Tucker Barnhart, you could pinch hit for him a little bit. And as I said, Trent's had a monster spring training. So I was surprised just kind of like you are Ronan when we first learned of this, but the Reese Torrance, he, he went off. So I could see why they do want to keep him at least for the time being in the organization. And uh, on the topic of jersey numbers, Torrens is listed. He played all spring in number 22. Uh, you, you know our affinity for that number on this show. Uh, the clubhouse staff, not uh, not keeping that out of circulation for a year or two, out of respect for Jason Hayward. It goes right to the non-roster guy, and it looks like it'll be worn again on the major league roster to start the season. You know, I wasn't thinking Jason Hayward. I was thinking Cam Sanders. So maybe as he makes his way up to Wrigley Field later this year, there's some jersey number swap there, but I I was surprised to see three catchers break camp, uh, eight infielders, two outfielders technically for the Cubs as they go to Wrigley Field. You got Cody Bellinger in center field. You've got Ian Happ in left field. There are a handful of other players that potentially could play a little bit of outfield, but still the Cubs break camp here with just two outfielders on the roster. They're going to play a very exaggerated shift: eight infielders, two outfielders. Are there rules against that? Well, they might, you know, you could get that five infielder, or you could move the as a one outfielder as playing the old school shift in the in short, uh, short right field or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think that's interesting, and and we'll see what that means for what it means with say Suzuki and and other things. But yeah, you look at it; they only have two everyday outfielders you could think of on the roster coming in, and then you're looking at maybe Miles Mastroboni, who probably made the team because he had a pretty big. Uh, World Baseball Classic looked pretty good over there for Team Italy. And then, you know, Zach McKinstry obviously didn't quite earn that spot. He got shipped out. And then you have Wisdom possibly playing in the outfield. They talked about and Randall talked about it a little bit last week. You know, Patrick Wisdom being in there uh, out there. And even Trey Mancini's played some time in the outfield. So they do have guys that have played time in the outfield. And but it, it's interesting. And, and hopefully it portends that Seiya is coming back sooner, that they wouldn't just go this kind of period without an, another true dedicated outfielder the omission of mike talkman who seemingly was in line to to claim kind of that right field spot at least for the the initial short term the fact that he's not on the roster we would hope 
bodes well medically for Seiya Suzuki, because potentially that means it, it's not going to be very long and they're content to piece right field together for a week or for two weeks until he's back and not burn a precious 40 man spot on a guy like Mike Talkman if it's not going to be very long. So you, we can keep our fingers crossed. Hopefully that's kind of what that means. Maybe that's optimistic, but again, did, did, it did seem like Talkman was in line to claim that spot and claim some right field at bats. And instead he was sent to minor league cap. So fingers crossed for what it could mean for say as oblique. Yeah. And one name I, uh, yeah, I agree with you, uh, Randall. Hopefully it means say is coming back sooner rather than later. Maybe that Japanese win helped him healed up in the world baseball classic. But that's right. one guy I also forgot about that had some outfield playing playing experience is uh, our second baseman, Nico Horner, yep. who I don't expect him to be out there, but he does have some experience in the outfield. And also one guy who they sent down, Christopher Morrell had some outfield experience. So I was a little surprised to see, you know, Morrell not making the club, especially if they're really only to go with two dedicated outfielders. I thought you could maybe put Morrell in second center and move Bellinger over to right field. And that's I mean, we know Hap has played center field and ha- could play and play the corners, but you, you really want to leave Hap in left field, I think. Yeah. So, but it'll be interesting to see how they mix and match early in the season to get to that third outfield spot. Yeah. I do want to push back a little bit though on Mancini as an outfielder. It's come up a lot since he's come to the Cubs. And when there was talk about him coming to the Cubs in the off season, the last four years, he's played 250 innings in the outfield for a negative 11 defensive run saved. I don't want that guy in the outfield. Patrick Wisdom in right field for a week, week and a half until Saya comes back. And there's quite a few off days, you know, built in the first two or three weeks of the season. But I really don't think it will be good if Trey Mancini is playing considerable time in the outfield. Has he done it in the past? Yes. Has he done it recently? Not really. And when he has, he's been a bad defender. And that also means Eric Hosmer's at first base. So no, 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 no. Mancini, stay at first base. Put Patrick Wisdom in right. And not not just what you mentioned about his uh, outfield prowess, such as it is. That's outfield prowess in the unpredictable early season conditions at Wrigley, which can be a very difficult corner outfield to play. So that could go from fun to even more fun if we do end up seeing that briefly. And a first-year player at Wrigley. Like, I think certain ballparks are harder or easier to adjust as a ball player. I think it's tough for outfielders the first time they're at Coors Field, for example, with the air and with the big outfield and the weird dimensions at Coors Field. Wrigley's tough, and there have been a lot of examples of players who've struggled in their first year in Chicago before eventually sort of figuring it out. So I don't want Mancini out in right field, but I'm with you guys both in that this does seem to bode well for Seiya. And with that in mind, we've seen some pretty encouraging video over the last week of him hitting and him playing in the field. So I think there's reason to be optimistic that his return is sooner rather than later. I agree. Say, uh, he, uh, he play, he's played a couple of minor league games. He got in the field, played a few innings. Uh, he's taken, as Ronan just said, he's taken some, uh, plate appearances, you know, some, we've seen him swing the bat a little bit. So yeah, it does seem like they're really counting and planning on and say, uh, coming back sooner. Uh, we, we heard, in, uh, like last time we did our podcast, we talked about, you know, are they pushing say too hard? Cause it does seem like he's, they're saying it's not going to be like that full month. He might come back two weeks into the season. Um, so we'll see how early say it can, can get back. Uh, it's just interesting that they've gone with this kind of options of not really having a true outfielder, um, a true right fielder. And most of the guys that we, we have mentioned, um, this will be their first time if they're playing in the outfield, playing it at Wrigley Field. Myros Mastroboni, if he's playing in the outfield, it's going to be out there. I don't, I don't recall Patrick Wisdom playing much outfield time. I'm sure he might have some, but I don't recall him much at all and you know Trey Mancini as we mentioned he's on the past I don't want Trey Mancini out there either 
I just think maybe in a pit, like in a pinch, he's a guy who sure. has experience playing out there. You need him for an inning or two, or maybe a game. Um, it's not that big of a deal, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. This is really, I think, where it's going to come down to coaching and some of their analytics front office guys. Like for this week, like how are we going to mix and match here to get somebody out there in the outfield and put some lineups out there that are good lineups? So uh, I'm curious to see what they're going to do here. Jeremy, to, to fill in your memory of Patrick Wisdom in the outfield. He made six starts in right field in 2022, uh, played in seven games out there, 46 innings in right field for Patrick Wisdom as uh, as a member of the Cubs in 2022. So as we sit here recording this on the evening of Wednesday, the 29th, the Cubs did. The Cubs are in Chicago. They did go through a workout at Wrigley today. You hope a lot of these guys who might be in line to start in right field, Wisdom, Master Boney, uh, yes, Ronan Mancini probably is going to get one out there. You hope they were just kind of lined up taking, you know, uh, baseballs off the wall in right field, tracking the ball in right field. You hope they were using the time productively if they're going to piece it together in right field um, when the season starts. Yeah. Well, I think a lack of preparation has never been a problem with David Ross and his time with this organization. And, you know, there's been a talent deficit with the team, unfortunately, the last couple of years. But I felt that they're prepared. They're do, trying to do things the right way. It's going to be curious to see how right field plays out and how quickly Saya comes back. On the other side, pitching the Cubs break camp with 13 pitchers. We get clarity on the number five starter. Hayden Wisniewski ends up getting the gig there. So he's the fifth starter for the Cubs. How about this, though? The bullpen, zero left-handed pitchers as the Cubs break camp. That's also sort of curious to me. And what will likely happen, again, as we sit here recording this on the evening of the 29th, not official yet, but it sounds like Mark Leiter Jr. will get that final bullpen spot. He is a reverse splits guy. He's been very good against left-handed batters. Chances are he's going to be kind of that unofficial lefty in the bullpen. Brendan Hughes is, will start the season on the IL with a knee injury. Uh, so, yeah, no left-handed relievers on the opening day roster. That's atypical. And, again, it sounds like they're going to try and piece it together a little bit, use Leiter as a reverse splits guy until Hughes comes back. Hopefully that will be soon. It didn't sound like the knee issue was too severe. And specifically, Hughes did not play in – any of the late spring training games because that allows them to backdate the IL stint. And if he is able to come back sooner, they don't need to wait 10 days from the start of the season. And I believe they did that on purpose. Likewise with Suzuki having him play in a minor league game instead of the major league games, because again, that allows them to backdate that IL stint. So another thing that we can hopefully cross our fingers on, hopefully it's a good sign. We talked about all, uh, offseason pretty much about how the Cubs don't really have any lefties in their bullpen. We mentioned Hughes, Brandon Hughes as being the only one. And we've talked about, you know, I remember being surprised when they did sign Michael Fulmer as another right-hander to come in, but they're going to open the year with no lefties. And that, that is pretty crazy to think about. Now I will say it is a little bit of a different um, environment nowadays with the three pitcher or three batter yeah. rule. So I guess you don't, you're not going to have a lefty come in and face one guy. So you're always going to face three guys. So maybe the odds are they're going to face righties. So maybe it, it doesn't, it puts less of a premium on having lefties in your bullpen, but uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting. And, and it's kind of surprising. Um, I, you know, we look at, you look at the bullpen and there's some interesting names on there. You know, uh, Javier Assad, we talked about, he made the club after that huge world baseball play, classic. He came out and did it. Keegan Thompson still made the club, even though the velocity's down, but he didn't allow like an earned run. It's free training. So he's going to be on the roster. And, and so they have a couple of arms in there. And so I'm interesting to see how that plays out. The Cubs have been successful building bullpens over the past couple of years. It's something that they've done really well. So I'm, I'm a little excited for this bullpen. 
Here's a name that didn't make the bullpen. Rowan Wick, one of the last cuts the Cubs had. He gets outrighted to Iowa. He clears waivers. So he's going to open the season in Des Moines. Uh, Jeremy, what do you make of that? Rowan Wick not making the team. Uh, it's not super surprising. I'm a little surprised because they brought him back. Uh, they signed him to a contract and brought him back and then outrighted him. Uh, I w- I'm a little surprised about that. But, I, you know, Rowan Wick, I've, I've never been a huge fan of Rowan Wick. I, but I have thought he's he's pitched decently over the uh, years. But... You know what? There have been better pitchers than him so far in in camp, and I, I don't think he deserved to make the team. And I, I like the idea that the Cubs are going to go with the best guys. Like they shouldn't have any commitments to anybody just because they've been here before. So yeah, it's a little disappointing that he didn't really come through and perform. But he wasn't. He. I mean, I, they have better names in the bullpen right now, so I, I I'm okay with it. And we'll see if he can rebuild himself uh, in Iowa because he cleared waivers and he's going to be back in the system. And Jeremy, that's a great way to put it. It's not that he pitched that poorly this spring. He simply got uh, pushed out. He ended up low enough on the depth chart. Like you said, there were guys who pitched better than him and earned that roster spot more so. So so it's not that he did anything particularly egregious. There were just that many guys who were better than him and who earned that roster spot more. I have to admit, I would not have anticipated that over the offseason at the start of the spring. Um, just because he has had success in the past and he has had closing success in the past, something there isn't a ton of on this roster. But like you said, the Cubs have shown a willingness uh, this spring with with Nesky giving him the fifth starter spot. They've shown a willingness to go with the best players and not keep guys on the roster just based on veteran status or name. And I think that's a good thing, ultimately. When you have a guy like Javier Assad make the club. Uh, you know, because he came out firing bullets. You Keegan still maintain his his string on the spot. You mentioned Wesneski, of course. Uh, Alzali made the club. You had gone out and signed Boxberger and Fulmer. Uh, you know, eventually it just you just run out of space. You know, for a guy, uh, Julian Mer- Merriweather came out. He's throwing hard. We'll see if the Cubs can harness whatever they have in him in terms of stuff. He probably might even have some of the best stuff in the bullpen. He's he's bounced around a couple organizations, but they'll have the Cubs give him that shot really like the only name I'm looking at uh, where you're like, is that a name where you would take Rowan wick over uh, might be like Michael Rucker, but he's, he's shown some things in the past. So um, I, I'm not, I, I just don't see Rowan wick right now as being one of the best kind of third or I guess eight arms in the bullpen that they would have had. The other big sort of roster move or news around the Cubs here is one of the young players gets a contract extension it's not Ian Happ. It is Nico Horner. It kicks in next year, so it covers 2024, 2025, 2026. A three-year extension, $35 million. His first year of free agency basically keeps him in Chicago, and he still becomes a free agent before the age of 30. Yeah, you know, it's easy to say they this isn't the long-term extension for a player that we would have liked to see for a young player, but it's still the front office willingness to offer money to a player and a willingness on the part of the player to take it. So try not to look a gift horse in the mouth here. It's nice to see the front office do something in this regard after we have seen however many players uh, not get extension. So it's easy to be a little bit pessimistic about this, but I'm going to choose to be optimistic. It's good. It keeps a great player in the fold for guaranteed an extra year. He gets life-changing money. uh, And yeah, so I'm going to choose to be optimistic about it. I think it's a good move. I think we're all happy to see it. Uh, come across the wire the other night. So I'm good with it. Uh, I am optimistic about it. I like it. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, if you could lock down Nico, maybe a little bit longer, that would be interesting, but you know, 
to be fair, Nico doesn't have much of a track record. Like he's really only had that one good year, which is last year. The Cubs get cost certainty in the, over the next two years by locking in Nico, uh, you know, at a fixed rate where Nico gets that certainty too. Cause like if he, you know, doesn't have a great year this year, he, he, he gets some guaranteed money. I think it works well for both sides and it doesn't stop the Cubs from, you know, re-signing him again, signing him again. Uh, once, you know, you come up to that free agent year. I mean, they already did it once before. If Nico goes out and shows that he could be that guy, I think that you, you would see that the Cubs already have interest in keeping Nico around, that they could do it again. So I like it. I think it makes sense. Now, you know, I, it kind of fits into what Jed does. Like we've talked about Jed, like I always feel like it seems like he does prefer shorter term deals. He does not like super long term deals. You look at Stroman deals three years, most deals they've all been kind of in terms of like reasonable length. So uh it kind of fits in there. But the fact that they went out, they made something positive, they got they signed a guy, it's opening day. You have the positive Nico sticking around another three years. Yeah, he would have been here another two years most likely, but he has guaranteed money. They have cost certainty over those two years. And then they get that third year to buy out an extra year of free agency. And there's or, sorry, there's nothing that preventing them, as I said, from extending him. So uh, I think it's a good thing. I'm optimistic about it. I like it. I like being happy about a guy saying it's Cub, even for another extra year. Are either of you at all a little disappointed that it's not longer? A little bit, but again, we've gotten, it's been so barren in terms of them. The last time we got to say, hey, the Cubs extended one of their players was Kyle Hendricks. And that was, are, are we going on four years now? So is that spring training 2019? So, you know, it's been a little while. Any port in a storm, uh, yeah, beggars can't be choosers. So I, I'm a little disappointed, maybe that it's not longer, but I'm also not going to, I'm not going to discard it because it has been, again, it's been four years since we got to say, hey, the Cubs actually sat down and extended one of their young, ostensible core players. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah, I think there is that little bit disappointing when when you first hear the, you see the tweet, as Randall's always fond of saying, when the Ken Rosenthal tweet comes that they're in advanced talks or deeper discussions, you know something's about to hit. And you see that and you start thinking, hey, maybe there, there's going to be a long-term deal here. But a really long term deal here. But at the end of the day, as I said, like Nico doesn't have much of a track record. So I can understand why uh, they didn't extend him super long. And I can understand why Nico didn't want to do that. Like, I don't think I think he wants to keep himself, you know, some powder so he can hit free agency again. Because even if he was signing an extension now, he probably make a lot less money if he has another good year like he does last year. He probably is going to make a lot more than what he would if he had locked himself up so yeah you know you're a little disappointed but you look back at the most recent extensions the Cubs have signed Hendricks David Bodie I can see why Jed's thinking like those extensions did not really work uh when you get into those years so I can see why they're keeping it short term but we get Nico and we get Dansby Swanson for guaranteed four years together so I think that's pretty awesome it's a pretty glove up the middle, if nothing else, for the Cubs the next four years. Uh, not a great spring for Dansby Swanson, but he ended it with a bang there the last couple of games. And, and spring stats don't count. So uh, we'll get here in a moment to some of our predictions for the season. Maybe some of us predict Dansby Swanson to be the Cubs leader in war or home runs or something else. So we'll get into that here momentarily. But I was a little bit disappointed, and it feels to me like a better deal for Nico uh, because again, he's getting life-changing money and he gets out at 30 with a chance for another contractor. So maybe the Cubs can get a lot of production out of Nico Horner. He's certainly one of the guys to watch here as we get ready for opening day. But at least one extension, what this means for Ian Happ 
is he's most certainly going to test free agency. And I think the big question with Hap is, will he even survive this season as a Cub from start to finish? That'll be determined the next few months. It will be determined. Obviously, if the Cubs are not in contention, you would see probably see Ian Hap on the trade block. Of course, we all know what happened last year. Don't count your kid, uh, your chickens before they're hatched. Uh, we all thought Wilson Contreras was for, uh, most assuredly going to be traded, and some crazy things happened, and he did not end up getting traded. But yeah, if your thought is if if Nico or excuse me, if Ian is if Ian is around in July, hopefully that means the Cubs are more competitive and they're keeping him around. But I I don't think that just because he might be a free agent at the end of the year necessarily means the Cubs would be out on him. I, I still mm-hmm. think they would have interest in him. It just would be unfortunate that he would, it would be, you know, everybody would be able to talk to him. So it, it might make it a little bit more unlikely in that sense, but I still think the Cubs, if they could get a right deal around, they could bring him back in the off season. Speaking of Ian Happ, five years ago today, that leadoff home run in Miami, the first pitch of the season, man, time flies. Long that's ass now time been ago. Five years ago. Holy cow. I remember that vividly. It was an awesome moment, and it's crazy to think about. But uh, hopefully, you know, he's probably not going to be leading off tomorrow, but hopefully he can do it on first pitch and, hit, and take off Corbin Burns. Yeah, and, you know, anything pre-COVID feels like a different world. That was yeah. two jobs ago for me, and I remember sitting in my office at the time when I used to have to go to an office to go to work and watching that first pitch, cheering in my office, and my boss down the hall going, hey, you working in there? Are you watching baseball? What's going on? Well, I'm like, hey, man, it's the first pitch of the year, and they homered. you got to let me have that. Watching baseball can be work sometimes. you just got to be able to write it off. Yeah, you, you... – Definitely. Uh, you know, you get that first pitch fastball on the first pitch of the year. You, you, they're just throwing it down the middle. You got to be ready to pounce. And that's what that's what Ian Happ did. And that was in Miami. And that was back when they had that crazy structure. So it was a long time ago. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I have a lot of fond memories of Ian. And hopefully we can make, have more fond memories this season, uh, even if it does come to an end at the end of the year. So opening day tomorrow, March 30, that's a Thursday afternoon at Wrigley Field. The Cubs' 40-man roster stands at 38 as we record this here. So uh, obviously some movement will happen here. There will be some transactions into the first week of the season. But all offseason, you wonder from the day the regular season ends the year before, what trades is our team going to make? What free agent acquisitions are they going to make? What types of contract extensions Well, now we have the answer. And I've said this before. I've been a bit more pessimistic than I think each of you on this show. I'm not totally thrilled with this offseason, but I'm still ready for opening day, and I'll be glued into the TV tomorrow. It's a very new team. You know, we talk about this offseason. A lot of different guys. Obviously, we had that core that was around for so long. But this is your day at – you might not – be excited about the offseason, but over the past two years, they've brought in a lot of different people. You know, you, we're going to have Stroman on the mound. We're going to have Swanson, Mancini, Bellinger. It's, it's a completely different Cubs team to see. So it will be interesting to see all these guys in Cubs uniforms, and hopefully some of them can prove like, hey, we're ready to take that next step. We're ready to be a part of that core, and we can have some really competitive Cubs teams in the near future. All right, let's make some predictions for this team this year. We'll talk offense, we'll talk pitching, and then we got about a half dozen fun or sort of wild cards that we're going to throw into the mix here. Offensive side, Randall, you go first. Who is the Cubs leader in war in 2023? Dansby Swanson. I'm going to go with Dansby Swanson as well. I think as the shortstop, you know, great defensive player. I think that's going to give him a solid base to get a lot of war. So I'm going to go with Dansby Swanson. I love it. I love the optimism just to throw a different name out there. 
the contract extension, another leap here from Nico Horner in 2023. He ends up leading the Cub in war. That'd be a good thing. And of course, we're talking offense for position player war here, not yet at pitchers, but the two middle infielders may be the stars of the Cubs roster this year. Correct. All right, team leader in hits. Uh, so I'm going to take your extension receiver, Nico, from your answer. And I will say Nico Horner leads the 2023 Cubs in hits. Um, I guess I'm just copying Randall here. I'm also going to say Nico Horner. I think Nico, uh, you know, he's going to, he's, I think he's going to, as you said, take another leap. And I think he's going to show that bat a little bit. And I could see him batting around 300. So I think Nico Horner leads the team in hits. I love it. Let's make it a clean sweep. I also think he's going to be uh, a regular. He's going to be playing all of the time, and that obviously helps. He's also going to be at the top of the lineup. So more plate appearances, more opportunities. Let's say the hits leader for the Cubs. Clean sweep here, Nico Horner. All right, power, pop. Randall, who leads the Cubs in homers? I'm going to throw you a real curveball here. Cody Bellinger. Great. Wow, I, I Cody Bellinger's a good pick. I, uh, I've been optimistic on this guy since the Cubs have signed him. I'll be the high guy on him. I'm going to go Trey Mancini. I just think he's going to have a big year. I think he's going to hit some homers. I know I've, I've kind of struck out the past couple of years with some off-season signings as being the guy to lead the Cubs in homers. But I'm going to go Trey Mancini. I think it's going to be a big year. I got a couple names in my head here. Uh, I want to say Saya, but missing a little bit of time. And then those oblique injuries can sometimes zap power over the year. Dansby Swanson, the Cubs shortstop. You know, I like Bellinger. I'm not sure he's going to be around all year. I like Ian Happ. I'm not sure he's going to be around all year. So I'm going to go with Dansby leading the team with just shy of 30 home runs. Dansby, you can be reasonably sure, is not getting traded at the deadline, uh, yeah. no matter what the status <laughs> of the team is. What about stolen bases, Randall? Who swipes the most bases for the Cubs? You know, a couple names bouncing around in my head here. I think it's going to be Nico Horner. I think he's a guy who's shown willingness to run in the past. The newly sized bases are not going to deter him any. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Nico Horner. I'm going to agree with you, Randall. I think it's Nico. I think he's the fastest guy in the team pretty much. And I think he's, as Randall said, shown a willingness to steal an extra base. So I think Nico's going to take off a little bit. I think Nico's going to get steal a few bases. Well, I think you're both wrong. It's clearly Jan Gomes who's going to leave the Cubs in stolen bases. Of course, I'm kidding. I think Nico's the right way to go. Again, everyday player, top of the lineup, and uh, going to be very active. I thought I saw today there were 300 more stolen base attempts in spring training this year than last year between the Grapefruit and the Cactus League. So I expect that rolls over into the regular season as well. Well, Jan's got the extra number digit on his back. That's not going to make him any faster. He's gone from 7 to 15. The jersey has gotten heavier. I just don't think that's a logical pick, Ronan. Any other offensive categories? Uh, let's go. I'm going to go on base percentage. And I think that's going to be Seiya Suzuki. Uh, you know, maybe there might be like a plate appearances threshold he doesn't quite reach if he misses a certain amount of time, but uh, we know he's got the batting eye. I do think he's going to still end up playing most of the season. Uh, so I'm going to go Seiya Suzuki leading the team in on-base percentage. I like it. I could see that. I could see Seiya leading there. I think he's got up there. Unfortunately, we don't know how long he's going to play. So, or excuse me, when he's going to come back from being injured. So we don't know how, how stack on counting rolls. I'll pick one that I'm going to throw out there and you guys are all going to jump on me and think I'm an idiot. But I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. it's not Eric Hosmer. I'm going to say, it. I'm going to go with batting average. And I'm going to say that Nick Madrigal is going to lead the Cubs in batting average. Wow. Oh, God. All right. He's not going to lead would... the Cubs in hits. He's going to have limited opportunities and play every day, whatever, but I think he's going to leave him batting average. I'm going to say, all it. right. Nikki batting average. Let's, Can you let's believe? go he actually made this team that they're, they're taking the field and Nick Madrigal's there. He's at Wrigley. He's at you Wrigley. Know, I think one reason he made this roster is because he showed that he can do the bare minimum at third base. And I think 
your everyday third baseman is going to be playing some right field to start the season, and you're going to have to piece it together a little bit at third base. I hate to say it. I think we're going to be seeing more of third baseman Nick Madrigal than we would like to see. But I do think that for as long as Patrick Wisdom is going to be getting some right field time, I think you're going to be seeing Edwin Rios and Nick Madrigal at third base. I don't think it's going to be pretty for Madrigal, but I think it's going to I think it's going to happen. I don't think we're going to enjoy it, but I, it's it's inevitable. Dread it. Run from it. Nick Madrigal arrives all the same. Well, they also have Master Boney who could also probably play third. So they have a lot of options for the infield. Over on the pitching side of things, Randall, team leader in war as pitcher. Justin Steele. Ah, Randall's stealing all my guys. I was going to Justin Steele as well. So, uh, yeah, Justin Steele, I think he had a great year last year, and I expect him to build off of it. I'll throw a different name out there, and I, this is a true thought. The matchers playing devil's advocate here. Hayden Wisniewski, I think, is going to be the most effective pitcher for the Cubs. He was super impressive in spring training. I think he's a little bit under the radar. Uh, Monday night, I'm in a fantasy baseball league here with some guys in Colorado. Uh, we had our draft. It was in person. Had a lot of fun with that. I picked Hayden, and about everybody in the room turned and went, who? Who? What? And I said, Mark my words, it's going to be the best Cubs pitcher this year. And I got a lot of eye rolls and yeah, sure. Okay, guy. But I'm thinking it's Hayden's going to be the team leader in war on the pitching side. Now, Ronan, do me a favor on this next one. Ask Jeremy first, because I feel bad that he has to keep copying my answers to stay relevant. I'm going to give him this next one first. Anyone can jump in, you know, um, strikeouts. Jeremy, who you got? All right. Well, I'm going to jump on your bandwagon this time, Ronan. I'm going to go with Hayden Wesneski. I, I I agree with you. I think Hayden Wesneski is going to have a, a monster year. I'm excited to see the, the Cubs rotation with guys like Wesneski and Justin Steele in it. I, I think Wesneski is I, – I, I just can see him. I, I don't know if he'll be as consistent, but he was pretty much in the, in the spring training. So I, I think Wesneski is going to lead the team in strikeouts. I'll double down on that. I agree. I will buy my ticket for that train as well. Uh, I will take Hayden Wesneski as the strikeout leader. Who leads the team in innings pitched? I got Jameson Tyone on this one. Well, here's one I'll go a little bit different. I'm going to go with Marcus Stroman. I think he, he well, uh, I think he spends most of the year healthy. I think he pitches a lot. Uh, we know he's going to get the fir- the the ball the first day in the rotation. So I think Marcus Stroman comes out and I think he throws you know 180, 190 innings. And so you think he's sticking around all year? Yeah, I do. Yeah, awesome. Um, I, I don't share your optimism that he's necessarily going to be around come August. Uh, I'm also going with Tyone. I think he's going to end up being the workhorse, the steady guy who leads the team in innings pitched. The innings back eater. Of, yeah. The innings eater. Of, uh, yeah, Chicago, yeah, Chicago like style innings. Chicago style innings with tomato, onion, mustard on him. He's going to eat all them innings Chicago style, and he's going to love it. He seems excited to be getting back to Wrigley Field. I mean, all those guys say the same thing. Oh, I can't wait to play for the fans. Uh, But he's been in the division. He's seen Wrigley Field lots from his time in Pittsburgh. So, I don't know. Vote of confidence that I think he's going to be a pretty steady arm for the Cubs in the starting rotation. Back into the bullpen. Who leads the team in saves? I think it's going to end up – you know what? I'm going to go with a name. I think it's going to end up being Javier Assad. I think he ends up in the back of the bullpen. And I think he's going to throw heat, and I think he's going to be a dominant reliever. Yeah, I don't love this prediction. I'm going to go uh, Brad Boxberger. And yes, I did almost do it again. I'm going to go Brad Boxberger leading the team in saves. This is a big coin flip for me. Uh, just to mix things up a little bit, Keegan Thompson will end up finishing as the saves leader. Last year, I said Manny Rodriguez. That did not work out. I'm hoping for more optimism here from Keegan in 2023. 
Well, the off speed has looked pretty well, but the uh, speed, as you, Yes. one might say, this old speed ball, as Bruce Springsteen would say, uh, not looking too great for No, Keegan. I'm, I'm a little more optimistic, though, that he did break camp with the team. That, to me, feels like a vote of confidence from the front office. If they really thought he was hurt, I don't think he'd be anywhere near Wrigley Field right now. So I'm going to trust the process here. I'm going to say that they're going to work it out. And by the end of the year, he's going to emerge on top. All right, let's make it happen. Anything else pitching-wise before we get into some fun ones? Yeah, I'm going to go starts made, and I'm going to put Tyone on this one too. Like you said, he's going to be that steady guy in the middle of the rotation. So I say he is going to lead this rotation in starts. Yeah, sounds reasonable. Definitely sounds reasonable. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm excited for this this team, this pitching. I think this Cubs pitching staff is going to kind of outperform expectations. I feel like people are kind of sleeping on the staff. I don't think they have an ace. I don't think they have any elite top-end pitchers. But I do think this rotation and, and the bullpen are going to outperform kind of the projections a little bit because I see a lot of upside with, you know, Justin Steele, Hayden Wesneski, Marcus Stroman, Tyone probably give you, you know, pretty good starting. So I, I don't really have a specific prediction, but I, I do think we're going to be happy with this rotation, and I think we're going to love it because I, 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 I'm really excited about Wesneski and Steele. I think they're going to be really good pitchers. Yeah. Well, some wild cards to throw into the mix here. We had some fun just before we recorded throwing some darts, so to speak. Jeremy came up with this one. He gets credit for it. I love it. We'll start with a batter. Which Cubs batter will commit the most clock infractions this year? Guys, there's a clock in baseball now. What batter is going to commit the most defenses? Well, I'm going to start off since it was, since it was my idea. And I don't know if he's going to be around enough to get all the infractions, but uh, I, I I think he'll have some. And you'll you'll probably hope he's not around long enough. I'm going to go with Eric Hosmer. He's going to get the most batter infractions. Yeah, you know, I'll buy that guy who set in his ways, not adjusting to this new clock. I will take uh, Eric Hosmer. I'll, I'll jump on that bandwagon as well. The most infractions as a batter. I'll criticize him as much as I can. Uh, but for the sake of some other names here, I think one of the catchers is liable for it, like a Jan Gomes or Tucker Barnhart. Uh, also, this one's maybe stretching a bit. Christopher Morell. And the reason why I say that, you know, he does the thing where he hugs the players, he hugs the umpire. I think he's just going to walk up there and they're going to get him a couple of times as he tries to say hi to everybody. Imagining the dugout shouting at him, Christopher, stop hugging and get in the box. They're going Get to the box. assess, they're going to assess a strike on you. What Definitely. Cubs pitcher commits the most infractions? I'm going to say Drew Smiley. Drew Smiley as the most infracted pitcher. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I, I actually think that this kind of um, the clock kind of advantages the pitcher. And I think the pitcher can use it as a tool kind of, uh, you know, to play with. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go with somebody out of the bullpen. I'm going to say Brad Boxberger ends up getting. I don't know why. The guy's been around the league as set in his ways. I, I think that's probably going to be somebody like that. I'm thinking more along Randall's lines. I think it's going to be a starter, just time on the mound and all that that goes Mm-hmm. into it. Um, you know, Marcus Stroman, I don't think is the guy. He seems on top of it, right? Like he's almost hyper when he's on the mound, getting rid of the ball so quickly. Smiley's a good pick. Uh, maybe Jamison Tyone also fits into that mix there. But I think Smiley's the guy. I'm pretty low on Drew Smiley, to be honest with you guys. I think that that's a contract that the Cubs are not really going to be pleased with. I know it's not a ton of money, but they gave him a multi-year deal. They've got a ton of interesting arms, and I don't know that Drew Smiley's one of them anymore. It felt like they sort of panicked there, trying to get another arm in the bullpen, and I think that's one they're going to regret. I, I do think he has the ability, though, to move back to the bullpen if somebody comes up and, uh, you know, takes the rotation spot away from him, maybe like a Caleb Killian or some other arm they have down there. Uh, I do think, you know, 
they I think he has options of what they can do with him. And, and he pitched decently well last year. So we'll see. As as you said, yeah, I don't know if I would have gone multi-year with him as well, but it's cheap. They didn't really break the bank for Drew Smiley. And so it shouldn't really preclude them from if the Cubs are willing to spend, not, even if they're not willing to spend, it shouldn't really preclude them from adding anything to this roster if they if they needed to. Here's a fun one. Ejections. David Ross doesn't count. We're talking players here. Who leads the team in ejections? Uh, you know, I'm going to guess a catcher here. I'm going to guess yeah. Jan Gomes just because I think as you know, you go into the season, I think there's going to be uh, a lot of debate. It was, you know, was the guy in his rotation was the batter in the box or not? We just saw an umpire eject JT real Muto in one of these late spring training games because he thought, Real Muto, I don't know, purposely pulled his glove away. I think the umpires are going to be real touchy this year because I think they, they, they're just umpires and umpires are just touchy in general. As Bob Brenly used to say, old, old rabbit ears, because they can hear everything and get offended by everything. So I'm going to say it's going to be one of the catchers and I'm going to say it's Jan Gomes because I think he's going to get uh, the most time behind the plate for the Cubs. So bigger sample size equals more ejections. I'm going to say, I'm going to stick with my infracted guy. I'm going to go with Eric Hosmer. And I think, uh, <laughs> I think he has the ability to be a little bit of a red ass. I might just be putting something on him. Maybe I, maybe I'm wrong there. I do think he's been around. He probably knows a lot of umpires. Probably he's, you know, could be a charming guy at times. So I'm sure he has, but I do think he has ability to be a little bit of a red ass. So I could see an Eric Cosmer ejection coming at some point, maybe multiple. I I was thinking about this. Uh, You look at this roster. There's not a lot of hotheads in general on this team. Like the guys that they've brought in, uh, you know, you don't think about Dansby, or Cody Bellinger is being like the most high intensity in the face of umpires guys. In fact, Cody Bellinger is a reputation of looking like a stoner when he's on the field, <laughs> right? Almost aloof when he's out there. So it, it, this is a little bit harder. I, Randall, I think you're on the right track with a backstop. Um, I'm going with the other one though, Barnhart. I think he's the one. And I think part of it too is going to be coming to the defensive pitchers as pitchers are acclimating to the pitch clock. There's going to be a little bit more chirping maybe between the catcher and the umpire. And uh, I could see that certainly taking place. I also want to say that that ejection in the spring training game of Real Muto was absolutely horrible. And, and like, it's a spring training game. Who cares? But at the same time, for that umpire, and he's one of those transit umpires, meaning he's not a full-time major league umpire. He gets the call when the full-time guys have an injury day or a vacation day. This is a guy in AAA who's trying to become a full-time everyday umpire, he made an ass of himself the other day in that spring training game. That's not going to show up well on his uh, whatever kind of evaluation, whatever kind of performance report that these quadruple-A umpires get. That's not going to show up well. And like you said, you'd think as a guy who trying to eventually make that full-time major league umpire, because guys do get promoted as older umpires retired, uh, you just kind of got to wonder what the thought process was. Yeah, obviously, you know, a guy who was a little bit too on edge, a little too sensitive. I, you, you, you watch the whole thing. Yeah, he obviously misread what Real Muto was trying to do. But honestly, I don't even understand because the umpire is the one who threw the ball back to the pitcher first, and then Real Muto asked for a second ball, not realizing the pitcher had a ball, and, and then the he pit- put his glove. Yeah, he put his glove Sorry, down. That pitcher's Craig Kimbrell, by the way. Right? Yeah, Craig, Craig Kimbrell, correct. Craig Kimbrell. And then he put his glove down when he realized Kimbrell had another ball and the umpire tried to hand him a ball. Why is the umpire should be like, I already handed a ball. Just get over it, dude. It wasn't that big of a deal. I realized there was a clock infraction that played into it. So the umpire thought that Real Mewtwo was like trying to get into it with him. But just just absolutely nonsense. It's hard to watch that and think like it was just ridiculous. Yeah. If you're listening to this right now and you're not really sure what we're talking about, just do a quick search online, type in 
you know, real Muto umpire, because you should watch the whole thing play out. John Boy Media had a nice video that showed exactly what you were talking about, Jeremy. The fact that just prior to that, Craig Kimber was sort of playing games with the umpire a little bit there. To get the infraction called, he asked for a ball, said it wasn't good enough, asked for another ball. So that sort of led to this exchange here. But a discussion that I've seen pop up since then is... You know, I don't think umpires are allowed to do this, but in a situation like that, where almost immediately everybody in the ballpark, including I think the umpire realized he had messed up, there's no takebacks though when you eject somebody from a go ball game, right? Like the umpire cannot collect his thoughts for a minute and say, you know what? I overreacted. That's on me. Shouldn't have tossed you from the game. Let's keep things going. That doesn't happen. And at least it was a spring training game and not a regular season game that this played out. Crazy. Yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, and you know, you would think that like like you at some point it should just be but once that happens, it's almost like the umpire gets set in the ways and they have to defend their call. So yeah, uh, they're just it's just over. And uh yeah, it was ridiculous, but uh, you know, it there's nothing more you can say, just a total ump show if you will. I thought Randall would be in favor of a cool down period where the crew chief I think it was Dan Isonia was in that mix. Maybe I'm messing up the name, but he came over and was like, hold on, what just happened here? Like, would you be in favor of another umpire coming in and saying, hey, dude, you totally botched this. Let's not mess up this game moving forward. You take a guy like JT Romuto, who's an all-star, one of the great catchers in the game right now, that can mess up a win or a loss for a team. Would you be for that, Randall, an opportunity for an umpire to sort of get a take-me-back on that? Absolutely. Umpires get shit wrong all the time. And that's ultimately why I'm pro replay is because you need some kind of mechanism for overturning it when the umpires are egregiously wrong. I'm absolutely in favor of the umpire having the opportunity to say, you know what, I screwed this up. Let me uneject you. Can you do that? You're like, you're allowed back in the game. I'm absolutely in favor of that. Cause like you said, that can have a huge effect on a game because some umpire, I don't know, thought he was being shown up or something. So I would absolutely be in favor of that. Yeah, you know, I could understand that you get the umpire. I mean, the umpires come together all the time to change the calls on the field, um, and it always upsets somebody. So I can understand that. I, I do think, like, if if they were to do something like that and bring JT Real Mewtwo back into this ball game, you would see the opposing team be pretty angry about that as well. Sure. Go off, hey, you just threw this guy out. Why is he coming back? You know, give my guys the same leeway. But uh, yeah, it's who who knows. Like, uh, I I would think in a situation like that, uh, at some point, cooler heads. Pre- should prevail like yeah it's crazy to me you can just go straight from that to ejection um I, obviously the umpire thought that jt riomuto was trying to show him up but i i think it's a little ridiculous that you know they're ejecting these guys for that anyways like nobody like the umpires need to have a little bit less ego yeah and if i were the phillies i'd be a little bit pissed off just in the sense that you know these spring training games are scripted right like veteran players you're going to play you're going to have this many plate appearances and then you're done for the day or you're going to stay in until this amount of time. That throws a wrench into plans on spring training when suddenly the starting catcher you know, is out of the ball game and things like that. So a uh, wild scene there in Florida, worth looking into if you haven't actually seen the clip play out. Uh, another prediction here, game is played. Who plays the most games for the Cubs in 2023? Easy, cut and, cut and dry, Dansby Swanson once again. Yeah, I'm also going to go with Dansby. I think he has a history of playing a lot of ball games. I think it's his first year in a new city. He's going to want to be out there every day to prove his contract was a mistake. So I think Dansby is really going to be the guy, and I think he's going to play a lot. I'll take his middle infield 
mate there at second base. Nico Horner leads the Cubs in games played this season. Uh, this one, I, I don't mean to bring bad energy into the show here. Maybe I will eat crow with this one, or at least I'll feel bad about it. Time spent on the injured list. Who leads the Cubs this year and the most time on the IL? Ooh, this is this is a sad one. This is a bad one. I don't like answering this. I'm going to guess Marcus Stroman, maybe. Oh, wow. That's not what I wow. was expecting I, at all. Me neither. And I, hopefully that's not the case. I want to go with the guy who's currently on the IL. I'm going to say Kyle Hendricks. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a messy year for Kyle Hendricks. Hopefully he can come back and pitch well, but I can see things kind of going by the wayside. Him and spending a lot of time on the IL this season. Unfortunately, Jeremy, that's where my head is at as well. I hope we see Kyle Hendricks this year. I'm not even convinced that we're definitely going to see him at Wrigley Field at any point. Um, but boy, I sure hope it's not Marcus Stroman. There's going to be a real problem on the north side if Marcus Stroman spends the most time on the IL. That means uh, tomorrow might be ugly at Wrigley if he ends up leading the team in time spent away. Yeah, I don't want to see him come out of the game tomorrow before he's scheduled to come out. So uh, I, yeah, I, it's not going to be good if Marcus Stroman goes straight down. Trying to think of the right way to ask this one. Uh, which member of the opening day roster will finish with the lowest war? Uh, Eric Hosmer. Randall was ready for that question. He was going straight to it. I'm going to say, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to say uh, it's going to be an interesting one, but I'm going to go with one of these relief pitchers and I'm going to say Michael Rucker. Okay. I'm also going to go with Eric Hosmer. I think it's going to be a disaster. And I hope he's gone by about May 1st or so. My birthday's April 27th. So <laughs> Jed and David, if you want to give me a little gift here, uh, get Eric out of there, get Matt Mervis up and let's see what he can do at Wrigley Field. Um, this is sort of along the same lines, but who do you think's the first guy to go? I think you got the right idea, Jeremy. It's probably a reliever who will be the first member of the opening day roster who won't be with the team moving forward. In terms of like being sent down or whatever. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Just, yeah. Probably reliever, um, but you know, once Saya gets back, they'll probably send down one of these uh, uh, multiple uh, infielders that they have. So I could see, you know, there's a few guys there that they could probably send down, but uh, I, I don't know. We'll see what they do with somebody like uh, Miles Mastroboni or, or uh, even Nick Madrigal once Saya comes back. Nick Madrigal is my pick to go down when Saya comes back, just because I think Mastroboni has a little more positional flexibility and Madrigal is one and a half positions at best. You know, I was talking with some Cubs fans the other day, 2004 came up and the question was what happened? Like what went wrong in 2004 and <laughs> how much time fan, you got? Yeah. This fan who I, you know, I think maybe wasn't watching or maybe had been on the younger end back in 2004 was saying, look, look at the lineup, look at the starting rotation. And I brought up the point, you know, they won more games in 2004 than they won in 2003, yet obviously they fell short of the postseason. But a big storyline with that team down the stretch, uh, Kent Merker ready to kill Steve Stone by the end of the year. There was talks about him possibly going up to the press box during a game, getting ready to fight Steve Stone. If you remember, the end of 2004 was the end of Steve Stone, the end of Chip Carey in Chicago, and it ushered in that era of Lennon Bob. So lots of changes took place following 2004 into 2005. Will any Cub this year have a public spat with a media member or the fan base? Marcus Stroman will absolutely have a public spat with a media <laughs> member. I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened already. And real quick, you all, you mentioned 2004 was the end of Chip, was the end of Stoney. It was also the end of Fox Sportsnet Chicago because after that it was a Comcast Sportsnet get your game on. Uh, so they, they just ushered everything out with 2004, completely clean house. Back to my answer, Marcus Stroman is absolutely going to get in a public spat with a media member sometime this season. 
Uh, I'm going to kind of stick with Randall here. I'm going to say Marcus Stroman, but I'm going to kind of disagree with him. I don't think Marcus Stroman is going to get in the spaz media member. I think Marcus Stroman is going to get in a few Twitter beasts with some fans. <laughs> so uh, I could see that. That's why I think is what's going to happen. Not not Obviously, mutually exclusive. I'll th- either one could happen. Obviously focused on the big things if he's fighting fans on social media. He's got a bit of a polarizing presence on social media and uh, talk to Mets fans, talk to some Toronto fans. There's some animosity in some of those fan bases. I'm going to go Eric Hosmer, though. I think that uh, he's going to be awful. I think Cubs fans like me are going to be very, very much on a short leash with him. And, um, you know, he does have a reputation of being a good clubhouse guy and things like that. But if he feels like his career is getting away from him and the city's turned a bit, maybe that gets ugly. But let's hope that none of the Cubs players have problems with the press or the fans. And it's a wonderful season at Wrigley Field. I hope it. I hope we have a beautiful competitive team. And I hope I hey, I'm hoping Eric Cosmer comes out just like he did last year and has a monster April. So and then he can win the fans on his side and for at least a month. <laughs> you, you can get Ronan an Eric Hosmer jersey for his birthday instead of a Matt Mervis person. You can get him in a Hosmer jersey. Good old number 51 uh, on O'Shea. Here's one uh, in the moment. Who is a player who has not yet made his major league debut? that's going to have the most war for the Cubs, the biggest impact on the Cubs this year. So not a Christopher Morrell type guy who we're certainly going to see in a couple of weeks, but somebody who's not yet made their big league debut. Well, I think the obvious answer would be Matt Mervis. I think that he hasn't been called up yet, um, but uh, he he was successful last year throughout multiple different levels. He has a shot to get called up if he has a big uh, start to the season. So I, th- I think he would be the obvious answer if you're looking for position players. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with Matt Mervis. Not the Cubs number two prospect. No. All right. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to take this answer. I'm going to throw it. I'm going to hope this answer lands somewhere exciting. Pete Crow Armstrong. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't think that's the, I don't think we're going to see him at Wrigley no. field this year. Um, I was saying, Jeremy, what I was implying with that is that maybe Brennan Davis. No, I, I know you're saying player who, makes the biggest impact for the Cubs. Uh, but you go Matt Mervis, I like that. Uh, any other predictions we want to make or throw out there? I, I Do we want to do wins, like for the t- club as a whole? Sure. All right, I'm going to come out here. I know Randall's got them winning the division, so we'll see where Randall goes. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to come out and I'm going to say 82 wins, an above 500 club. I think we see a competitive club for most of the season. I don't think we see any real major trades. In the middle of July, I think we come out and I think we see a team that's that sticks around third place for the, almost the whole year, fighting a little bit in the wild cards. I'm going to go 82 wins. I'm going to go a few better than you, Jeremy. I'm going to go 85 wins. I think all the stars align and they end up with their, their ceiling, which is right around 85 wins. So I will be probably the most optimistic of the three. 85 wins for your 2023 Chicago Cubs. You think 85 wins will be enough to win the division? Well, I, I'm not going to say that all my thoughts completely fit together, whether we are talking podcast or in general, but that, that's what I'm going to go with. Okay. Um, I got a different number in mind. I'm the pessimist from us. They will not be 500 this year. I have them finishing with 78 wins, matching the win total of the 1992 Chicago Cubs. 78 wins for the Cubs, uh, 84 losses. Yeah, well, it would be their best season in three years if they did finish with 78 wins, so they'd have that. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting year. I think we're going to see uh, a team that, you know, can be competitive on some days, and some days they'll probably won't will be really not competitive. So, uh, but I, I think that I'm hoping what we do see is a team that basically is never really out of it 
throughout the whole season that there's always going to be some hope at some point that they're going to be playing competitive and meaningful baseball in August and hopefully into September. Yeah. I think when we look back on this team or as we get ready to look forward to this team, it's maybe a better way of putting it. Pitching is going to be really intriguing and very solid for the team this year. I think the starting rotation is going to be good. We're going to see a lot of great arms out of the bullpen. The offense is going to be the problem. There's going to be a lot of difficulty scoring runs. There's going to be a lot of difficulty driving in runs. And that can lead, I think, to stretches of losing streaks and times where, you know, yeah, they're competitive against maybe St. Louis for a weekend series. Then the bats go cold and they're swept by the Brewers or something the next three days. Things like that, I think, are going to plague the team this year. Um, So it's not going to be a... 90-95 loss team. I'm certainly not thinking that way. I think the pitching is going to keep them competitive, but the real frustration, the hair pulling we're going to have this year is going to be, why can't they score runs? Why is there not more power with this team? I think that's really going to be a problem all season long. I I see that as well. I do think, as I said, I think the pitching is going to outperform the offense. I could kind of see where you're coming from. Hopefully Saya comes back and hopefully Saya has a pretty good year. I, you know, you read some of the projections of him. They expect big things from Saya. It's going to be a second time around, uh, you know, in America, learning a new culture, learning a new league, learning everything. I think that first year is a really big adjustment. And so I think, you know, he come back, it's, he was a proven hitter in Japan. He made the Japanese, that fantastic Japanese, uh, club that won the World Baseball Classic. They wanted Saya there in the middle of their lineup. So I, I think Saya is a pretty good hitter. So hopefully he comes back. He gets more, you know, uh, the umpires give him more leeway a little bit because he got some close calls yep. on him last year. So I think uh, I, I'm hoping that Saya has a pretty big year this year. That would be great. It's really, really important that they get some production out of right field. They don't have a right fielder breaking camp with the team here as we get ready for opening day. Um, One other parallel from last year to this year that I think is going to stand out. uh, We talked about this a lot last season. The Cubs were more interesting or more fun to watch last September than they were last April. And I think there's going to be some parallels to that this year. There are multiple guys in this team that I do think will be traded at the trade deadline. I think Marcus Stroman's a good candidate. Cody Bellinger's a good candidate. Ian Happ's a good candidate of guys to be moved and a couple of guys in the bullpen. But I think in September, which is a relatively weak schedule for the Cubs, look at the September schedule. They're in Denver for three days in September, among other bad teams. We're going to see Brandon Davis up. We're going to see Matt Mervis up. There's going to be sort of this influx of young guys, and that's going to be fun to watch. They're going to be playing bad opponents, and it's going to be all these young guys getting at-bats and pitching in innings. So I'm looking forward to that. I think this team is going to be more interesting as the year goes on. Jeremy, you mentioned how there are more players. There are a lot of new faces on this year's opening day roster. I don't think there will be quite as much turnover between the roster as it will stand at the end of this season, many months from now, and what the opening day roster of the 2024 Cubs will look like. I think, like you said, a lot of pieces are going to come up that are going to play into near future Cubs teams. I don't think we are going to see quite as much roster churn this next off season, because I think there are going to be a lot of useful long-term future pieces on this roster by the end of the 2023 season. Well, my, my hope is that those guys come up uh, and, and they, they fill in with a roster that's kind of, you know, doing job like Brennan Davis comes up because he's playing well and the Cubs can't, uh, they they want him up, and he kind of maybe maybe he'll push somebody out or make room for himself on on the roster, not necessarily just because uh, you know somebody's betrayed or not. And I hope that the roster itself is performing well, and then and Matt Mervis is kind of filling in some holes that maybe that the the Cubs currently have that they don't need to acquire to to make to 
to win some ball games. The same with Davis, same with some pitchers. So that's just my hope that everything kind of comes together as a whole. Uh, the roster's playing pretty well. The guys in the minors are playing pretty well. We're all forcing each other to be better. You know, obviously it's not all going to work out where everybody's having a great year, but uh, that, you know, that that's my hope is that everybody just kind of pushing and we start to see like what a new core can possibly be. Which minor leaguer are you most looking forward to this year? I'm not talking about necessarily at Wrigley, but just we're going into a new season. Minor leagues are going to be playing as well. What's one guy that you're like, okay, that's the guy I'm watching every day? Pete Crow Armstrong is going to be the guy to watch for me every night. You're going to watch the defense. You're going to see is the hitting coming along or at least at least staying at a level that shows he's not completely overmatched. That's going to be the guy I'm tracking on a night-to-night basis. For me, I'm going to say uh, Kevin Alcantara. I think uh, that he had a really good spring training. He hit really well in major league ball games. He was playing last year in a ballpark that is notoriously suppresses offense in in Myrtle Beach, and he hit pretty well there. He's hit well everywhere. He's kind of hit. He's he's raw talent. He's long. He's lanky. He came over from the Yankees, and he hit there in their rookie complex. He hit the Cubs rookie complex. He's hit kind of everywhere, and I was surprised at how well. Uh, he played during the uh, spring training. Now, obviously, you can't take anything from spring training, but I, out of all the prospects, I think he was the highest performing one. So I'm excited about him, and I'm excited to see what he looks like this season. So you're saying in his previous organization, he was a lanky Yankee. He was a lanky Yankee. Yeah, and one more name I want to throw out there is I, will, I hope to see Alexander Canario healthy mm-hmm. and back on the field soon. We saw the great power numbers from him in the minor leagues last year. Again, he's already on the 40 man roster, which is, you know, one of the big hurdles towards getting a prospect up is clearing the 40 man spot for him. So that's a guy I hope is um, healed up and I hope he's on the field and hitting home runs again, double uh, A AA or triple A very soon, because that could be a very interesting piece to come up at mid season if he's healthy and hitting. Yeah, and I believe if just based on Instagram photos, he's out of his boots. So he is out of his boots. Hopefully boot. he can get to wow. working back towards baseball activities. That seems um, aggressive to have him out. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm saying that's a great sign that he's already out of the boot there. I think you're both on the money. I'm going to throw one more name out there. Just one of the uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? One of the pitchers that is going to generate a ton of interest this year, Jordan Wicks is a minor leaguer that I'm eager to see what he puts together. You know, we've been talking about Drew Smiley. Is he going to be any good? Is he going to hold on to that rotation spot? Jordan Wicks is very polished. He's probably going to start the season in the double-A rotation. You know, we say it all the time. I say it all the time. If you are performing at double-A and your major league team has a need, you are one phone call away. And if the Cubs do need a mid-season kind of sturdy guy to come up, and stay in the rotation the rest of the season, that could very easily be a guy but like Jordan Wicks. Uh, yeah, I think if also if you're looking at the pitchers, uh, the Cubs' first-round pick last year, I think Cade Horton, who kind of came out at the end of last season with some nasty stuff, uh, pitching Oklahoma into the College World Series and dominating, uh, I think he would be a guy to look at to see, okay, what do we have here? to Because to, he's going to start off, uh, this is going to be his real first year of professional ball. So I, I think he's an interesting name. And last but certainly not least, Randall's brother from another Sanders. Cam Sanders is a guy that we're all excited for. But, man, I'm bummed that 22 isn't going to be available. At least not yet. 22 is going to be available for him. Um, We'll see what other number might be a good fit. Randall, we all know 22 is your number. If you were not allowed to use that number because Jason Hayward's on the team or Mark Pryor's on the team, what's your backup? My backup, if, if, if I'm not on the Cubs, I'd take number 10. So I think that'd be a good uh, I think that'd be a good Ron Santo tribute. If I couldn't do number 10, I'd probably do number 18. And, you know, 
Yeah, Moises, exactly. And if I couldn't do number 18, you know, I'd see what else was available, see what combination I could come up with. But I think those are my top three, 22, 10, and 18. Interesting numbers, 22, 10, and 18. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I I could see Randall in an 18. Now, Ronan, you're, of course, a number 99 guy through and through. Every time you've had the opportunity, you've been O'Shea 99. Let's say 99 isn't available. Your team wants to keep you in a, a real major league number. What's your backup number? 69. Okay, let, let's say your team didn't want to issue that. Because some teams, <laughs> actually, their equipment staffs will not issue that number even in the spring. Uh, so, you know, let's say, let's say that's unavailable just for the sake of discussion. You know, that's unfortunate because here's a fun story. This is going to make everybody's day. When um, on the old PS3, when I was playing NCAA football 14 and good news, NCAA football is coming back next year for the PlayStation 5. I'm looking forward to it. I'd always make a, their version of road to the show. I think it was called Campus Legends. I'd always make a quarterback. If 99 wasn't available, which is an obscene number for quarterback, right? 69. Imagine you're a college freshman, you go to a campus, you're the star quarterback, and you're out there rocking the 69. I love it. I love uh, pushing those boundaries, Randall. Um, you, so, you are yeah, a boundary good. pusher. Um, I also had a soft spot for uh, number one. You know, uh, lots of great Cubs over the years have sported that number one. So, uh, But 99 would be the way to go for sure. All right, uh, weather, at Cubs Weather, helping us out. What's the forecast Wrigley this weekend? Uh, it is my pleasure to present the first Cubs weather forecast of the 2023 Major League season provided to us, as always, by at Alexander Hall. goes by the name of Alexander Hall, uh, one of the fine uh, account runners of Cubs weather, which, of course, you can find at Cubs weather. So the Cubs get, for the second season in a row, the pleasure of hosting the Brewers in an early season tilt at Wrigley Field. This is a Thursday, Saturday, Sunday series with the built-in off day, all games at 120. Jeremy, you'll like this part, the Thursday forecast. 43 degrees. It will be mostly cloudy with a little bit of sun. Alexander describes Thursday as typically chilly, but playable. The winds will be out to the left field corner at 5 to 15 miles per hour. Saturday, temperatures will be colder than that. It will be 38 degrees. The winds will be in from the left field corner at 20 miles per hour, gusting to 40. Uh, and Alexander describes Saturday as brutal with potential for a few snowflakes or spitting showers early. Plus the Canada blaster trademark Northwest winds will be howling in. And Alexander does note that with the off day Friday is actually quite opportune as there is a chance for potentially significant severe thunderstorms in the region. Ronan, I know the Denver native that you are, you are very worried about the weather in the Denver Chicago native. region. Denver, Denver resident, native. No, Denver I resident, Chicago native. I beg your pardon, as the Denver resident that you are, you're very worried about the weather in Chicago because that's just how yeah. you roll. And then finally on Sunday, Sunday will be the moderate day temperatures of right around 50 degrees at game time. It will be more sun than clouds, gusty south winds. So out to the left field corner at 20 miles per hour, gusting to 30, but it will be fall like and manageable, helping the temperatures recover into something that reminds you of spring a little bit. After they finish their three-game tilt at Wrigley Field, the Cubs will head to venerable Cincinnati for their first uh, meeting of the minds with the Cincinnati Reds. That is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 6.40, 6.40, and 12.35, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday and Tuesday have an outside shot at a shower, comfortable temperatures uh, in the mid-60s for Monday and Tuesday. The winds will be to the left side of that ballpark, 
15 to 20 miles per hour on Monday, 5 to 15 miles per hour on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, the getaway day, 65 degrees at game time, an outside shot at thunderstorms, winds again to the left side, 20 to 30 miles per hour. And also keeping an eye on the weather elsewhere in the region, Alexander does note that Tuesday and Wednesday could be a regional outbreak of severe weather in the Midwest. So we will have some early season meteorological fireworks potentially to go with the early season baseball. And so, as always, that is our first uh, Cubs weather forecast of the 2023 season. Be sure to follow at Cubs weather all season. He will have up to the minute updates on all weather, whether it affects the Cubs, the Chicago area, or both. Be sure to follow that account and be sure to follow the three wonderful people who do run the account, that being Alexander, that being Colin, and that being Andrew. Andrew is the third individual who runs Cubs weather. So be sure to follow all those individuals all season long. They will have all the information you need. All right, good stuff. Uh, we've got to get him back on the pod, too. Uh, that's something that we try to do annually here. Uh, we will have plenty of time as we get into the season. Do either of you find it a little odd that the Cubs and Brewers are meeting the first day of the season and the schedule makers say, well, you got a dome in Milwaukee. You've got outdoor baseball at Wrigley. Yeah, let's put this game at Wrigley Field. A little bit. Um, I, I do find it a little odd that they keep scheduling the Cubs first thing in the season at Wrigley Field, you have to imagine there's some kind of reason for it, some reason that they're not opening in Milwaukee. But you know what? I'm good with it. Opening day at Wrigley is a rite of passage as far as bundling up and getting yourself nice and warm. Uh, it, it's part of the tradition, honestly. Yeah. And it, it, I like it more when the Cubs open the season uh, day one at Wrigley as opposed to playing on the road for a week and then having to come home for the home opener. Yeah, I don't disagree with the Cubs opening the season at home. I'm saying, though, if you're going to play a northern domed team, why would that game be at Wrigley? That's a little odd to me. Like the Cubs and the Brewers get to play a lot this year. Uh, if you're going to play on March 30th, shouldn't that be in Milwaukee? Or the Cubs can play any other team potentially at Wrigley Field. It's just a little weird to me that you've got a dome team in a volatile northern market. You are in late March at this point. You choose to have the game at Wrigley instead of in that dome. Yeah, I can kind of see what you're saying uh, there, Ron, especially for the fact that the Cubs and the Brewers are so close. It's not really... Um, you know, taken away from like a warm weather team or something. Um, so I don't know, maybe the Brewers just want more games over the summer with open air as opposed to domes. They want that to be fair as well. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a little weird. It's a little weird. They did it last year too. So we, we have a repeat of last season opening day with the Brewers and the Cubs. And if you remember correctly, 2020 was supposed to be an opening year in Milwaukee in the dome. So before obviously that all that got canceled. So it, sh it should be three years in a row that the Cubs are opening on opening day against the Brewers, which is a little odd to me. It does seem like the Cubs open against the Brewers quite a bit. And it's just one of those early season matchups that MLB has cemented. All right. Good stuff. Jeremy, have a good time out at Wrigley yep. field tomorrow. Uh, my first game will be next Friday. The Rockies are home. It will not be an opening day for the Rockies, which is next Thursday. Next Friday night, Washington Nationals. Right now, it's a long way out, but it will be in the 30s during that ball game Friday night. So, oof, be uh, bundling up here in Denver. But I'm happy baseball's back, and I've got my first Cubs game on the radar here Friday, April 21st at Wrigley Field, Cubs-Dodgers. So I was looking at my schedule today going, wow, in less than one month, I will be at Wrigley Field, and I'm certainly ready for that. Very exciting. It's going to be cold. And, Randall, you know, Randall, uh, I know it's not going to rain tomorrow, but 43 degrees, that's cold, man, for me out there at Wrigley Field. So hopefully well, it'll be sunny. Bundle up, Jeremy. We don't want you getting frostbite on the first game of the season. Save that for, you know, maybe the second, third, fourth game of the season. And, Jeremy, please do something for me, if nothing else. 
Coca-Cola is back at Wrigley Field this year, right? We haven't had Wrigley Field, Coca-Cola at Wrigley Field in any of our lifetimes. We've not had Coca-Cola in Wrigley Field. Jack Daniels, Coca-Cola, upper deck tomorrow. Make it happen, Jeremy. Got to get a party out at Wrigley Field tomorrow. Party hard at Wrigley Field. Uh, yeah, all right. Let's do that. Randall, you got one note for us, some minor league baseball news tonight. Yeah, real quick, right before we recorded tonight, Jeff Passan recorded that uh, MLB and the minor league players have ratified the first ever CBA between the two parties. It increases pay at every level. Um, and just to quickly hear, the AAA can, players can now make up to $35,800 a year. And obviously it goes down from that. It's There's still a lot of work to be done, but this is still a, an increase in pay of a factor of two at every level. And that's not nothing. So there's still a long way to go. But most importantly, the players will also be paid almost year round, aside from a six week break in the winter. So like we've said in discussing this topic a lot, there's a long way to go in getting the minor leaguers compensated fairly. But this is another great first step, especially at the higher levels. It's progress. It's still appalling to me that a triple A player in the minors in a $10 billion league makes $35,000 a year. That's awful. Well, yeah, up I, to $35,000 a year. Right. It gets lower from there. You're not yep. going to find that any less appalling. Yeah, you know, and most of those guys, if they're in AAA, they might, if they're on 40-man rosters or, or have been on 40-man rosters, they'll probably be making more than that. But uh, I would also point out that I believe that it also means that the teams are reducing their uh, domestic reserve list from 180 to 165, which means there are 15 less minor league spots uh, for every organization. Very true. I'm going to put both of you on the spot as we wrap up today. We, of course, are celebrating opening day. We've all been privileged to see a lot of opening days. We've all been privileged to attend some opening days. I'm going to need your best opening day memory, and that can be opening day at Wrigley, opening day of the season. I'm going to need your best opening day memory, and I'm going to need it right now. I'll go first, I guess. Uh, and it's weird because this comes in a loss, but opening day 2008, Kosuke Fukudome, that big home run off Eric Gagne, Awesome moment. I was at Wrigley Field that day. I've probably been to between 10 and 12 opening days over the years. And yeah, it kind of stinks that that one ended in a loss. But that home run, that moment when Kosuke hit that ball, the expectations for the team that year, the hype around Kosuke, just an unbelievable moment. And that's a clip all these years later in the middle of the offseason when I'm missing baseball. I go to YouTube, I type in Kosuke, and I relive that moment as many times as I can. So that was a great one. And I'll always be a Kosuke Fukudome fan. That game, a big reason why. That was a great uh, game. I, I understand. I, I figured that would be your pick. For me, I'm going to go with, and it came in a delay, and it came with a cold and rainy and windy, but I'm going to go with opening day 2017. I think bringing out the championship banner, raising the championship banner, all the great stuff that came along with that. I, I think that is something, you know, you don't really see at Wrigley Field. So that was one thing I'd never seen in my lifetime. So I, I that's one for me, opening day 2017. Anthony Rizzo walking out from under the bleachers, hoisting the trophy. That's a hard visual to beat. I'm going to throw it all the way back to opening day 2005. That is a game that yeah. I was at Wrigley for. Ronan, you were there. You were down yeah. on the field with a press pass in the, that black pea coat you used to own, looking up at us in standing room, waving at you. Uh, prior to the game, though, Pat Hughes was doing a live radio hit right outside Wrigley on you know the WGN trailer that was set up. And, of course, he does his hit, and he walks into Wrigley. He passes right by me. He shakes my hand and he tells me, have a good time at the game today. And I can finally say I shook the hand of a Hall of Famer that day. Uh, wow. So I will go opening day 2005, throwing it all the way back. Yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, I remember that day. That was a good day. Yeah. Uh, Cubs lost that day, though, unfortunately, they did. as well. Yes, they did. Um, I got to interview Greg Maddox that day. That was a, certainly a highlight back senior year of high school. And they gave me a media credential for opening day at Wrigley Field. Amazing. Uh, really, really cool to take that in. Uh, I've been to Wrigley a couple of times with a press pass over the years, and it's always a great experience. And anytime you get to go on the field, especially though opening day, um, a lot of hype around it. I also remember Len Casper walked around that day and me going, this is the new guy. This is the voice of the Cubs. He certainly earned that job and had a great stint on the north side. So let's make it a win tomorrow, Jeremy. Um, bundle up. You have a tendency to be a little underdressed oh, in some I, of these ball games. So I've been to up. more cold weather sporting events than any person here. Probably, both of you guys probably combined. Uh, I, I'll, I'll be warm. I'm not and the then, one out there with no jacket like our friend uh, yeah. over here. That's, that's me. Yeah, he's talking yeah. about me. I'll own that. I won't wear that because it's jacket, but I'll own that. And enjoy your first ever Coca-Cola at Wrigley Field. That's a big moment. You know, I always hate when you go somewhere and it's a Pepsi ballpark or a Pepsi restaurant. This is a great change for Wrigley Field. I'm excited. I'm very excited. I'm a Coke guy at heart, and I will definitely be getting a Coke at Wrigley Field, and I'm excited to order it. Throw a little jack in there for me, and it'll be a good day for you. All right, we'll be back next week. Hopefully a couple of W's under the Cubs' belt. Let's go. Opening day tomorrow. Go Cubs, go.